today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgave our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen please be seated well a very good evening to everyone how are we this evening good okay someone said okay <laughs> we must be great because um, Again, we have with us this evening a very blessed man of God, and that is His Eminence Martuma Iramia, visiting us all the way from Canada to Australia. So, yes, yes, yes. For those who are not aware of His Eminence, uh, in the last probably three, four weeks that have gone by since His arrival to Sydney, I have uh, came to know him being a very humble, down-to-earth uh, person, a loving, sharing, caring, loves the Lord from the heart. And um, all these beautiful characteristics in this wonderful man gives us hope to go forward and say there are still good people of God uh, with us, and we thank the Lord Jesus for a man called His Eminence, Martuma Aramia. A big hand of applause for His Eminence. And he's got a great sense of humor, and he makes me laugh all the time, and I love him for that. Before I start, do we, do we have any new faces here with us for the first time? New faces, a very warm welcome. Yes, always, it's always a privilege to um, see new faces coming along. And for the oldies sitting at the back, uh, a very warm welcome. It's always good to see uh, some people who were missing in action for a long time and then showing up. It's always good 
to see that. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, they know themselves. It's good. It's good. Yes. <laughs> I'll just answer a couple of questions and then um, we prepared a small topic. Um, we'll contemplate on that in a few minutes' time, if you don't mind. As Assyrian Christians, should we be fighting war for our land in Iraq? Bit of a warrior here. That's good. Look, if you think that Christianity says that you are not entitled to defend yourself or your land, then we are wrong, because Christianity is not against us defending our homes, our homelands, and our country that we come from. However, we need to understand and always remember this, no matter what we do or say in life, it needs to be built on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we have the Lord in our life, in our intentions, then if we go forward, the Lord will bless whatever we need to do or say. I believe the best thing you can do for your country here in Australia is by coming in the love of unity and coming into this uh, united hearts and united tongues and really asking the Lord, who is the common denominator in mathematics, to unite us all and to say that we are one in Jesus Christ. This is the best battle you can engage yourself in and tell the enemy, you are lost, I win. Love, unity, always prevail. Always prevail. But if I'm worried about, uh, concerned about fighting in Iraq for my homeland, and here in Australia we are divided, and we are um, going against one another, I don't think we have that solid ground to even make that statement. We need to be united here in order to be strong there. Amen for that. The question is saying about uh, mentioning about books taken out of the uh, Holy Bible, the, um, the Apocrypha books or the second canon laws of the Bible. Why were they taken out? This goes all the way back to the... Um, what they call the 70th translation of the Bible at the time of Bethlehemos, who was the, um, an emperor of the Roman Empire in Alexandria, Egypt. And uh, when he came, his mission was to establish a library that would contain the entire books in the world. He wanted to put every single book that was published in that library globally. So he managed to do so and then there were some Jewish people living in Alexandria in Egypt. They came to him, approached him, and they said, Emperor, there is one book missing in your library. And he said, that is impossible. He said, yes, there is. And that is the Torah of the, uh, the Old Testament book. And the Jewish people will never let you have that book. It is so precious to them. It is so holy. And it is written in their language. And that is true. The original text of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So they said they will never let you have that book. Well, he said, let me see if they're going to do that or not. So he took and chose 70 elders that were very knowledgeable in the Old Testament and very, very knowledgeable in the two languages, Hebrew and Greek. So he took the 70 elders and then, or Latin, sorry, he took the 70 elders and he put each one of them in a different location. And he, for example, he took chapter 1 of Genesis and he gave chapter 1 to the 70 elders. 
and he said, I want you to translate this chapter from, from Hebrew to Latin. And he said, if I see any uh, discrepancies in your translations, I will chop everyone's head. Because I'm, then I'll realize that you are falsifying the truth. So when they translated the first chapter, he matched all the 70 translations and he saw them to be extremely accurate. He realized that they were telling the truth as far as translations was concerned. So therefore, the 70 elders, for the first time ever in the history of the Israelite nation, their book was translated from Hebrew to a foreign language. And they called it the 70th translation. That, was, that took place in B.C. around 150-200 B.C. In that 70th translation, there were books that were left out. Now, whether that was intentional or unintentional, but apparently there were some chapters left out missing. That's why in the common Bibles that you have available, readily available at hand, that kind of translation is actually, that printing is done by the Protestant branch of the Christian world. And in the Protestant branch of the Christian world, do not accept these, these missing chapters of the Bible. They do not accept it. That's why the Bible for them, it is made out of 66 books. From the book of Genesis to Revelation, they are 66 books. However, in the Catholic and the Orthodox groups of the Christian world, they have 73 books, not 66. But uh, the reason why the 66 chapters are more available because um, it takes a lot of money to print the Bible and distribute it globally. And the Protestant did a better job uh, with that one. And that's why you guys have uh, a Bible with 66 books in it. But if you go to a Catholic shop and ask for a Catholic Bible, you will see it's not. You come to the, any Orthodox, whether us or other, other Orthodox, Greeks and, and uh, Russians, um, Coptics, they'll see it's more than 66 chapters. So it's to do with the 70th translation according to the 70 elders that Bethlehemos has chosen at the time. Where was Jesus for the three days between his death and resurrection? Okay, I wasn't there, sort of there with him all the time, so... <laughs> I won't be able to tell you exactly, but I'll, I'll try to sort of approach it, and may the Lord forgive me if I'm not accurate, but allows my human weakness to sort of, you know, to give me that opportunity if I make a mistake, so my apologies in advance, Lord. The Lord Jesus was crucified on Friday, what we call Good Friday. He was crucified on Friday at 12 noon, midday. He was judged early morning, by the time he carried the cross, he went all the way up to Golgotha. By the time he was nailed on the cross, it was 12 noon. For three hours, he was hanging on the cross. At 3 p.m., he gave the last breath and he died in the flesh. As a human being, he tasted death. He died at 3 p.m. Three hours, he was in a severe pain that no one could ever withstand. You can study and, and read about uh, crucifixion and, and the pain, excru excruciating pain that comes with a person hanging on that cross for three hours till eventually comes to their final sort of giving away that breath. So at 3 p.m. he passed away. The very first thing that the Lord Jesus did after passing away, after he said, 
Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. When he died, he lowered his head and then he, he gave the last ghost. At the moment of his death, the first thing the Lord Jesus did, he took the cup of his own blood. He took the cup of his own blood and he took it all the way to heaven of all heavens and he offered it to his heavenly daddy. He said, Father, the justice, your justice, this moment is now fulfilled. When you said, when you said to Adam and the entire human race that was in Adam, the moment you break my word, surely you will die. The moment you break my word, surely you will die. That judgment was passed from your mouth. And when Adam broke his word, he had to die. But I am the latter Adam, as St. Paul mentions in his epistles. Jesus Christ is the latter Adam. So I took that death upon myself. I replaced Adam. I am the Redeemer. Redeemer means I swap you your position and whatever punishment is upon you, I take it on myself. So Jesus died and Jesus rose. That cup of blood represented his death. So he took that death which the Lord God passed upon Adam by saying, if you break my word, surely you will die. Adam broke God's word. He had to die. Jesus is the latter Adam. He died on behalf of the first Adam. And then he took the cup of death to his heavenly daddy and said, your justice is today fulfilled and the wage of that sin is paid, which is death. I died, my dad. Are you happy now? Yes. This cup of blood, my death, now is going to open the gates of heaven that were shut in the face of mankind. So he went up, he offered the cup of his death, and he said to his heavenly father, your justice is fulfilled. Now I want to re-amend. I want to reunite you with the human race, father. Therefore, heaven is reopened now, and the gates of heaven are reopened now. He opened the gates of heaven, and then what did he do? He went into the belly of the earth, and he took out all those who had died on the hope of salvation and resurrection from the Old Testament people till that moment. He went into that belly. Those who died on the hope of the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to deliver us. He's going to save us. He's going to bring us out of bondage, out of this hell. He went and freed all those who slept, as the book says, as the Bible says, as those who slept on the hope of resurrection. He raised them from the dead. He freed all their bondages, broke every chain that was holding him in, that, in the belly of that earth, and he took them with him to paradise. And, he, and the Lord said it while he was on the cross to the guy who was crucified on his, on his right hand. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So he took those souls and he took them to paradise. After taking them to paradise, he went back and he entered the body that was still in that tomb, his own body. And the moment the spirit entered there, he woke up. He rose victorious, glorified, but in a glorified body, a much more powerful body a spiritual 3D body that will never die, will never age, and will never wrinkle. And he said to all of us, 
Just the way I rose from the dead, I will raise you on my second coming and I will give you this glorified body. Through this body, you are able to enter the heaven of all heavens and look at the face of God, which is Jesus Christ, without dying, without burning, and without being weak. I'll give you a body that will withstand the glory of the next kingdom to come. He went up to heaven, offered his blood to his dad, went back to hell, took those souls that Satan had captured them, and then he came back and raised his own body. The ultimate miracle, the ultimate miracle that the Lord Jesus did in his life on earth is his resurrection. That is the ultimate miracle. There is no greater miracle that the Lord Jesus could have done than his own body being raised from the dead. Because it is impossible for any human being, it has never been witnessed or heard of in the history of mankind that um, a person dies and rises from the dead through their own power. If someone else comes and raises me from the dead, maybe. But for me to raise myself by myself, it is impossible. Humanly, it's impossible. So Jesus Christ is the only human being that actually raised himself by himself to prove that I did the impossible because I am that I am. I am Jehovah in the flesh. I am God. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ is the only way. How do you know who is your right partner? Now, I think we should spend the rest of the night talking about this. It's a very exciting topic. I remember once, a little while back, we mentioned that next week's topic is going to be about relationships. I had a full house. <laughs> Every man and his dog came along because they were all excited. Yes, I want to hear what Marmari is going to talk about. Is going to be my partner. How will I know? Is there going to be signs? An angel is going to appear and says, take this Sargon with the big Assyrian nose. He is your partner. Do I need to go to Jenny Craig and lose some weight so I can fit the criteria? None of that. I'll send it to Bahshika. Don't worry. How do you know that this is your right partner? Now, I'll answer it this way. Because we don't have the time, and it's a very, very deep topic, by the way. It's a beautiful topic, and it's very deep and very complicated at the same time. I'll tell you this. The Lord Jesus, who is God, God has put for every human being a partner. Or, I'm not going to say for every human being, but he has put, in general, a partner for the majority of the human race. Because in Matthew 19, there are certain people that are chosen for the Lord's ministry in His church. There are certain people that were chosen to be nuns, to be monks, to be priests, and clergymen. They are chosen from God. But there is a partner in the general sense, and the majority of the human race, they get married. You know, you compare those who are in the church to the entire po human population, it's a very small percentage there are non-married people. However, the majority, they do get married. Those who are to be destined to be married, God has put a partner for you, 100%. Because Adam did not choose Eve. God chose Eve for Adam. So who chose the partner? God. And who called that partner to Adam? God. Now, in the Hebrew or the Aramaic or Syriac language, Eve... Eve's name 
came later. Her name was Atta. The first original name that God, the Lord God gave our mother Eve, He gave her the name of Atta. Now in Aramaic or Hebrew, Atta is two words in one. At means you, Ta, come, you come. So what did the Lord God say to Eve? He said, I created you and now I'm saying to you, you come and join your husband. You come and join your husband. So her name, while they were in the presence of God, her name was Atta. When they were kicked out of the garden, she became Avuvi, the mother of life, the mother of all life. I, I, <laughs> I spoil her and I call her Avuvi. Her name was Eve, yes. So the Lord God chooses the partner. However, he will not, he will not force you to say yes to the very partner that God has chosen for you. Because the Lord God will always respect your liberty. Why? Because he put it in you in the first place. God will never go against anything he has done because God is perfect. Since he created you on the basis of his divine love, Therefore, there is freedom. Therefore, there are choices. Therefore, there is a will for you to say, I choose this and I don't choose this. God will always ask you, would you like this or not? He will never intrude. He will never impose or force you to do anything outside your will. So, the Lord God, He will indicate that this is the person I have chosen for you. How will you know this? You are the only person that is able to answer this because it is an internal feeling. It is not an external feeling. It's both, but internally it's more than externally. Do we choose ourselves, our partners outside God's choice? Yes. Not every marriage is according to God's will. Not every marriage. But does it mean if I choose a partner that God has not chosen for me, does that mean I'm going to fail? No. Since everything is a choice, then God is going to help you to prosper in that choice as long as you don't lose track of Him. You see, it all depends on my faith. It all depends on my love and trust for God. If I really put everything in His hand, He will make sure I'll do whatever He chooses for me. But sometimes I'm not that strong. I'm not that, you know enlightened spiritually uh, to understand or to to really dis distinguish which is God's and which is not and that's why sometimes I make the wrong or not the wrong but the choices that are not according to God's will but definitely you have a partner that is from God 100% how will I know that this is the right partner for me now I don't have the time but very quickly very briefly I'll tell you this, what needs to happen, if you want to do it the right way. A healthy start in any relationship between a man and a woman, I'm talking about marriage here, a healthy start is that it has to start with the heart first, then the mind. There is a verse in the Song of Solomon, it's a chapter of the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon, the bride is talking about her groom to the angels of heaven. She's saying, and this is my, my lover, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This is my lover, and this is my friend, 
O daughters of Jerusalem. When she talked about the Lord Jesus, she put him the lover first and then the friend second. Lover, I choose my loved one using my heart. I choose my friend using my head. You don't choose your friend with emotions. You choose your friend with your head. Why? Because you want to have a friend, that friend has to relate to your way of thinking. The friend, you have to have common grounds that you are speaking the same language and you agree on a lot of things. So the head kicks in. When it comes to choosing a friend, I use my head. But when it comes to choose a partner of my life, the heart starts first. You know, you're sitting somewhere with your friends and then you make this 180 degree turn and then your eye falls on this gazelle over that corner there. And the moment your eye falls on this good looking girl, your heart goes bum bum and your mind, your intellect goes num num. <laughs> the mind stops. Your friend starts squeezing you, pushing you. Hello, you go, leave me alone, man. I just caught a fish and it's a good one. The mind is gone. Maybe she is not Celine Dion, but that's it. The mind stops because when it comes to love, love deals with the heart, with the feelings, with the emotions. The language of love is the heartbeat. The language of love is the heartbeat. Now that you cannot control, but there are certain measures I need to implement in order for me not to go overboard or to fall short, not to overdo it or to really wreck it. There are certain measures. So your eye fell, the heart went really big heartbeats there, and then there was some chemistry happening there. You know, I've, never, I've, I've seen so many girls, I never had this feeling when my eyes fell on this gorgeous Samantha Bratet Sargon. <laughs> well, the literal translation, Samantha, the daughter of Sargon, okay? So what's going to happen? Try to get closer because you said there is something here. Maybe that is a sign that this could be your partner that I chose for you. And I'm not saying you do that when you are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Forget about it. Stay at home. Enjoy your life. So you're going to go and get closer to this person. You want to meet them? You want to get to know them? What needs to happen? It's a good idea, good idea, when you start this kind of relationship that your intention is to get married. When you start this kind of relationship, you need to have a spiritual backup, someone that you can go back to and ask questions. And don't go to someone who is in the same boat as you are. Like an alcoholic goes to another alcoholic and says, what do you think, mine? I'm thinking of quitting. He's going to say, you're crazy, bro. Is there anything better than flexing the elbow? So don't go to a person in the same boat. You need to go to someone who is older than you, wiser than you, and more experienced in life than you, and more preferably, a priest or someone in the church. 
The first time, the first time you go out, try to avoid going out alone together. Go out with, with a group of people, your friends, his or her friends, go out together. See, don't rush and don't, don't talk a lot. Be an observer more than a talker. Be a listener more than a talker. Look at the way they behave. Look at the way they talk. Look at the way they dress. And also get to know their friends. You know, in the good old days, in the good old days where marriage was not done through Facebook, <laughs> you know, all the villages. We go back to our parents in the villages, whether Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, wherever they are. When they used to go and ask for the hand of this girl for their son, the parents of the girl, the first thing they check who the parents are, the very second thing they would check on the boy who are his friends. Because if you get to know the friends, you will have an extremely good idea what kind of person you are allowing to enter your life. The friends tell a lot of hidden stories. So go out with the friends to get to know the friends. Because the friends that he mixes with tells you a lot about the personality of this guy. What kind of language do they use? Where do they go? The places they hang around. Are they, do they hang around Mackey's? <laughs> Clubbing, bro? Or do they come to church? Remember, marriage is built on Christ. It's a Christian marriage. You can't marry someone in a club and say, I've got a good chance of making it, brother. Without Christ, you can't make it. You need to understand this. Without the Lord Jesus in your life, forget about it. Don't even try. So, go out. I'll say this for the shortness of time. After three months, no more, you should have a good indication whether I should go further or call it a day, and everybody go their way. Three months of meeting, of going out, talking on the phone, whatever, messaging and all that, after three months, I should have a good indication what kind of person this is. Are they going to be really the right person for me? The way they think, the way they talk, the way they walk? Do we have things in common? By the three months gone by, I should really have a very good insight of this partner, whether it be he or she. I should know. When we talk, do we talk things that we have in common? Do we share the same thing? Now, the very first thing in this relationship has to be Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord and Savior. Do we bring him up in our topic? Or is he forgotten? When we go out and sit at a restaurant and we have a social conversation, does faith, Christ, hello, does he come up? Or is it all about, oh, there's a singer coming, there's a concert happening, I, I love going out, I love partying, I love hanging around, you know, I've got so many friends, every day I spend hours on end with this and this and this and this and this. I love fashion. I love fingernails. <laughs> it's 
Someone is excited about it. <laughs> you know, I just spent $500 on this brand. It's leather. If I'm building my life, I'm starting a new life. Who am I building it on? Am I building it on worldly material things? Or am I building it on someone that will last for eternities? Because don't forget, in this kind of relationship, you're going to have encounters a lot in your life and a lot of obstacles and a lot of ups and downs. How are you going to overcome them? You need to understand that this kind of relationship requires full commitment and sacrifice from both sides. It's not just having fun. Honeymoon lasts for a month, six weeks. After that is barbecue moon. I always say this, marriage changes a lot of things. An example, prior to marriage, you're sitting with your partner, with your partner in the midst of a group of people. And your partner says a joke that is absolutely, makes no sense. Everybody is trying just to, they didn't make any gestures because it was a silly, stupid joke, right? But you cracked up laughing. Oh, what a beautiful joke. You said, honey, you are so funny. That rhymes, honey, funny. You are so beautiful. Wow, look at my partner. Oh, he's gorgeous. After marriage, he tells you the joke. You nail him on the wall. You say to him, next time you say this kind of silly jokes, I will throw you with your luggages out in the street. Sweetheart, it was funny before marriage. Yeah, well, now we're married. It's over. <laughs> marriage changes a lot of things. For the first time ever, the first day after you got married, you will wake up and see her without makeup, and you will call RSPCA and say there is a mistake. Who is this? <laughs> well, you see, before marriage, he will come every time with a present in his hand. This time it's a red rose. Knocks at your parents' house door. The father opens the door. And then you say, I'm just taking your daughter. We are engaged, you know, we're going out. I'm making her a surprise. She comes out, you give her the rose. You, you walk her to the car. You open the door for her. Please come on in. You slam it like a Mercedes-Benz door. <laughs> Automatic. And then you go around, you sit in the car. Before you turn the ignition on, you say, Honey, you look stunning. <laughs> Where are we going? It's a surprise. Don't worry, relax. After marriage, you drive, you leave her on the gutter. <laughs> you need to withstand all these earthquakes. After three months, I need to make a decision. Shall I go forward with it or not? Because if you're going to carry on without a serious decision, after one, two, three years, it's going to be so hard, it's going to be so hard to either go forward or walk away from the relationship. You walk away, you're going to have a lot of pain, a lot of sorrows, a lot of heartaches. Because I got used to this person. We shared a lot of things for all these two, three years. Now to walk away from it and for me to just switch it off, it's going to take another long time of pain and suffering before I can at least walk away. And to go forward with it, 
There is nothing in common. We are fighting all the time. We are arguing all the time. I can't see myself spending the rest of my life with this person who has totally different way of thinking to mine. So what do I do? I'm stuck. You left it too long. It's like you've left the food on the fire for too long. You burnt it. Three months, make a decision. You're not sure, speak to a spiritual father. And then after six months, you should be engaged. After one year, you should be married. You keep the relationship more, every man and his dog is going to enter this relationship. The in-laws, halla, 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 halla. All the way from Vahshiqa on Facebook. Get rid of him, I'll marry you another hundred instead. The in-laws is going to come in, the relatives, the cousins, and if they are Assyrians, they have a lot of cousins. It's a never-ending story. Sa'idu salamu Everybody's going to come. Too much. Three months, make a decision. I should go forward. Six months, you are to be engaged. After one year, a year and a half, married, get it over and done with, and tough luck, what happens after that one? You need to use your common sense as well because love is a choice. Love needs to be built. Love needs to be enhanced. Love needs to be enlarged, expanded, enlightened. You don't just come with it ready. You need to make it happen. You need to work on this relationship to make sure that your partner is going to love you more the next day and the day after and the day after. You need to do that. Don't just leave everything to God and hope for the best. No. Yes, God is the foundation, but I can't call the house just having the foundation. But without a foundation, don't talk about building the walls, the windows and the roof and the furniture, the furniture inside. You need to lay, to lay the foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. We need to build the relationship the right way. We need to lay the right foundation. Is Christ the common denominator? Marriage is a contract. And a contract is only signed when two agree on one thing. Love comes into existence when there is an agreement between two parties. Otherwise, there is no love. And when we agree on one thing, when we agree on one thing, then no matter what happens, that contract will never be broken. Now, what is the foundation of all foundations that these part two partners need to agree on? The person of Christ. When we both agree that we love Jesus, when we both agree that our love for one another is through Jesus Christ, then no matter what cyclones, earthquakes, rain, whatever comes your way, you will always withstand every tribulation. Because when the house is built on the rock, nothing breaks it, nothing shakes it. But if I'm building it on myself and on you, oh, she's beautiful, I'm, I, I fell in love with her. After marriage, she will lose her beauty. After pregnancy, she'll have a lot of wrinkles. What are you going to do? It's temporary. I need to build my love on the one who is permanent, eternal. And that is the Lord Jesus. So, the first thing that you should look for is, do we share the same Christ? 
Do we agree? When we talk, when the topic comes up about Jesus, do we fight? Do we argue? When I say to my partner, let's go to church this Sunday, he says, oh, you and your church. I'm sick and tired of you telling me to go to church. What are you, an old-fashioned? You should be a nun. Then the alarm should really ring and say, who am I going with? So it's not just about, oh, he's good-looking, he's got a Mercedes-Benz. You build this relationship on materialism, materials will go, your love will go with it as well. There is a beautiful verse in the book of Proverbs. Now that is the ultimate. A beautiful verse in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs. Uh, now the book of Proverbs teaches you wisdom, how to live your life on earth in a wise way. It is the last chapter, 31 verse 10. King Solomon, in, in, in Proverbs 31 10, he says, a virtuous woman who can find a question mark for her price exceeds the precious pearls. Verse 10, I can divide it into two parts. A virtuous woman who can find question mark for her price exceeds the precious pearls. Second part. It's one verse into two parts. This verse talks about a relationship that ends up in marriage. That's what he's talking about. Proverbs 31.10 talks about marriage. He says, a virtuous woman who can find this first half of, this, of the verse, he's given it to the man. He's asking the man. A virtuous woman who can find, for her price exceeds the precious pearl, he gives it to the girl. He's saying to the man, a virtuous woman who can find, Virtuous means fearing the Lord. Literally means fearing the Lord. So he's saying to the guy, when the time comes for you to look for a girl that you want to marry, not like little kids having fun, please. Huh? When you're mature enough, you're, you've got a job, don't be on Centrelink and say, I'm going to marry you. Where are you going to put her? In the gutter or something? Come on. You've got to be ready, man. Prepared. Now, a virtuous woman who can find, virtuous meaning a girl that fears the Lord. What does it mean, fearing the Lord? A girl that loves Jesus Christ. He's saying to the guy, when you are searching for a girl that you want to marry, look for the girl that loves Jesus. Don't look for a girl that is blonde, green, blue eyes, six foot, you name it. That's going to vanish. So don't look for an external beauty. Look for an internal beauty. Look for a girl that loves Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you can find a girl that loves Jesus, never fear that girl because she will never hurt you. Because the Jesus that is in her will always show her the right way how to live her life. So if you find the girl that fears the Lord, never fear her. Because Jesus never hurts. And Jesus will give her enough love, enough wisdom, enough courage to be a good supportive wife for you for the rest of your life. And then he's saying to the girl, when you are looking for a guy to be your partner in marriage, look for the guy that sees you in his eyes more precious 
than the pearls. For her price exceeds the precious pearls. Now the question is, what exceeds the price of the pearl? St. Paul said it in his epistle to the Corinthians. He said, he, meaning Jesus, he, he who has purchased us, not with silver, not with gold, not with precious stones, pearls, but with his own blood. What is more expensive than the pearl? What is more precious than the pearl? The blood. What is blood? Life. My life is in the blood. The blood leaves the body. I die. So he's saying to the girl, look for the guy who is willing to put his life on the line for you. And he's saying to the girl, to the guy, look for the girl that loves Jesus. All you need to do, find a girl that loves Jesus. And the girl, all you need to do, find a man that loves you more than himself. Now, that is the perfect relationship. That is the ultimate in, in a relationship. Do we, how hard is it for us to live this reality in this time and age? I would say, a majority would say, it's almost non-existent. Marmari, what are you talking about, man? You want to go out and see what's happening out there? What precious pearls? What cucumber? What tomato? What batata? Nothing. You know what the problem of our time and age? We have, especially in the Western worlds, in the Western worlds, the Western worlds have been extremely good in giving value to everything, but have failed miserably in giving the purpose to everything. The Western world has been very successful in giving value to everything, but lost track of giving the purpose to everything. And unless you know the purpose to the thing, don't ever dare talk about the value. Without the purpose, there is no value. We have lost track of the purpose of marriage. That's why we have valued it in a very disgracing and degradating... I don't want to say it. It's all right, man. John wants to marry Smith. Who cares? It's all good. Amanda wants to marry Elizabeth. None of your business. That's a value. Human rights, value. What is the purpose? Total destruction of societies. Not, you know, just getting to the Word of God. We haven't got there yet. We need to understand that this kind of relationship needs to be built on the Lord Jesus. If I can find a partner that will share my belief, then I have started in the right path. After three months, I have a good idea what kind of person I'm dealing with. After six months, I need to be engaged. After a year, year and a half maximum, I need to be married. Keeping it too long, you're asking for problems, for troubles, for interferences from left, right, and center. And the more you leave it, hoping that you're going to solve it, hoping that you're going to, maybe one day you'll understand how to work it, the more you'll be confused. And before you know it, I just wasted four years, five years of my precious life, and then at the end of the day, I realized, but I had a good feeling it was not the right partner for me. Yeah, 
Pack your bag and leave. You know, when, when the Holy Bible talks about there is no difference between male and, and female, they are equal. Now, they are equal in two, in two fundamental things and very foundational things. The male and the female are equal in love and respect. In love and respect, they're equal. But they are not equal in duties and obligations. Don't ever mix that. I see a lot of problems. I see a lot of problems in families. What the, what the women say to the man, you're working, I'm working. There is no difference between you and me. I provide too. So don't tell me what to do. Oh, just because she earns wages now, the man has to be... <clears throat> That's why I say to you, this relationship started with Christ, not with you. Started with the Lord Jesus. Whatever obstacles you're going to encounter after marriage, I saw you without makeup, and I just got a shock of my life. But you know what? When I saw you through the eyes of Christ, I saw you the most beautiful girl out of the entire girls in the world. You just fill me up. And you just make me so contained. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to search anywhere. I am fulfilled. Because I see you through Christ. I ask the Lord that I want this marriage to be built on you. And when you ask the Lord, He's going to come in. Because Jesus will not interfere. He is not a thief. You need to make Him welcome in your home, in your life. You need to open the door and say, I choose, Lord you to be in my life then see what the Lord is going to do but for me to go and do things my way and then come back later and say where is God where is God you left him behind and you walked without him that's where he is you left him behind don't ever leave Jesus behind don't I need him every single moment of my life. And he is known not to fail you and not to dis disappoint you. Oh my goodness, I can assure you this. I can shout for this without a blink of an eye, without a second thought. You can never be disappointed with Jesus. You can never say, I called him and he let me down. There's no such thing. Jesus is always going to be there. 100%. No matter what happens. And the beauty of Jesus Christ is seen, is tasted, and is acknowledged in the difficult times more than the good times. Or so-called good times. Or the easy way. You know, how will you ever know that you love your partner when he told you off? I mean, if he comes and gives you Chanel and takes you to Hawaii and buys you a four-wheel drive Toyota. Every Assyrian drives a Toyota, right? And then every, every day he says, honey, love, my sweetheart, my I don't know what. Of course, you, you can't tell that he loves you yet. But imagine you go and you tell him right off, right? Now, I'll, I'll give him a third-degree burns. And then not even an hour goes by, he calls you and he says, Honey, no matter what you say and what you do, I'll always die for you. 
And don't think I'm going to leave you. I'm really sorry to say this, but you are stuck with me for the rest of my life. Your life, sorry. Because your life is my life, and my life is your life. In the difficult times when you show love, when you are hurt, when you are brokenhearted, when you are told off, and then you come back and you show love to your partner, rest assured this person loves you from the heart. And this couldn't have been achieved unless Jesus was the foundation of that relationship. I see couples leaving on really funny, silly things because there's no Jesus. I remember once I was listening. This couple came to talk to me about a problem, marital problem. I sat for almost two hours listening to them. I love to listen without interference. It's good. She talked and he talked. And I am just listening. Two hours. <laughs> After two hours, I said to both of them, are you both finished? Yes. Are you sure? Like leftovers here, there, you know, <laughs> things, you know, check, double check the, you know, the long shopping list that you've brought with you. I, I remember this. I said, you know, for the two hours that I've heard you talking, blaming one another, pointing the finger at one another, I said, you know what your problem is? Whatever you said to me is absolute nonsense. I said, with all love, I love you both. And I, I really do. I love them both. I said, with all love and respect to both of you, but whatever you said till now, it makes absolutely no sense and it, it is absolutely silly. I'm not going to even listen and even give it or grant it any value. But I said, your problem is in this two-hour talk, there was not even one mention of Jesus Christ in it. That's what you're missing. Straight away they turned. They said, you're absolutely right, Father. I said, when has it been the last time you two opened the Bible and read it together? Never. I said, when has it been the last time both of you gone to church together? They had to think about it because it's been a long time. When has it been the last time that you, when you sat at the table, you thank God for the food? Never. I said, well, what do you expect if you do not preoccupy yourself with God? Who do you think is going to come in and try to destroy you? The one who is the killer of mankind from the very beginning, Satan. I said, you see, what you just said now, it is all gossip, noise pollution. I call it noise pollution. I say, you go back to Jesus. I don't need to see your faces again here. So you come in to ask me for help. I can't help myself to help you. We all need Jesus, me and you. I can offer you Christ, but I can't offer you anything else because anything else outside Christ is a waste of time. I believe they hanged around. They were divorcing. It was the final stage. They came to handshake and say, in your presence, they bowed their heads, both of them, and I could see tears in their eyes. Life makes us lose, miss out and forget about what is the true purpose of our very existence. Clinically speaking, do we have any doctors here with us? Okay, okay. I'll, I'll pretend to be a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I'm. Clinically speaking, 
there are four stages, four stages to the baby to be born. There is what they call clinically the pre-embryonic, the embryonic, the fetal, and then the baby born. Pre-embryonic is the age of zero. Embryonic is the age of zero to two months. Fetal is from the two to nine, and the baby at the age of nine months, the baby has to come into this world. From day one, now this is a good lesson for you if you're just about to get married or you just got married or you're thinking of getting married, think of it this way. For your future children, from the hour zero, when, the, when that baby is conceived into the mother's womb, from that zero moment, you should be, as a parent, teaching that brand new conceived baby in that womb to be one day a successful husband and a successful father or a successful mother and a wife, a wife and a mother. From that moment, the baby grows from zero to two months becomes embryonic. The zero to two months is the baby now is born and now he is eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 age, years of age. That's the embryonic stage. All these 13 years, 14 years, 15 years, 16 years that they are growing, you need to teach them from the moment in the womb till the age of teen, 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 all the teens, you need to teach them on how to give, not to take. Always teach them to be a giver before a taker. Always teach them to give first in order to receive later. Always teach them that. Teach them to be an open hand, an open heart. Now from the age of two months to nine, the fetal, that is when the boy meets the girl for the first time and it's leading into engagement. Now the engagement stage, engagement stage is where presents and gifts are exchanged. Anniversaries, birthdays, special occasions, a knock at the door and a big bunch of roses made the front door. This is to say I love you. After you choose the big day for the wedding, the heart stops. This comes up on the surface. The baby is about to be born. I need to do a lot of preparation. No time for all these kind of mumbo-jumbo gifts. We need to work hard. We need to be serious about it. And then the day comes and you stand before the altar, before that priest. And then you make your vows and you say, I'll take him, yes, in good times, bad times, in sickness and health and vice versa. Yes, Father, come on, hurry up. <laughs> the plane is awaiting us. We've got to go. A Syrian wedding's too long. And especially Marmari, he takes forever. I'm going to faint. So you say, yes, 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 yes. And then that day of the wedding is the day where the baby is born. The nine months are finished. The baby has to come out and the baby is born. I ask you this question. When the baby is born, how many pieces do the, does the baby come out? One piece, one body, yeah? What did the Lord God say? These two, the man and the woman, I brought them together. They are no longer two, but one. Have you ever seen a baby coming out in two pieces? Three pieces? The baby is always one whole perfect body. So when the baby is born, that's your wedding day. On the wedding day, the two become one. They're not two. Stop pointing the finger. 
You see, if you point the finger on your partner, you're pointing it on you because you're one body. If you tell off, you're telling yourself off. And if you tell him off, you are telling yourself off. You respect him, you respect yourself. You disrespect him, you are disrespecting yourself. Stop saying, it's his fault, not my fault. It's my fault, not your fault. Enough, you are one. For God's sake, get on with it. Bear each other's burdens and shortfalls and mistakes. Bear them. God has made you one. And then on the wedding day, you say, thank God it's over. All this hard work, all the preparation, the invitations, the bridesmaid and the groom's best man, and no, 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 Gee whiz, thank God it's over. And I'm really sorry, and I say that when I talk you know, at weddings, I say, I'm terribly sorry. I don't mean to really discourage you, but it's just about to begin. It's not over. It's just about to start. The baby is born. We're married now. We are one. The baby is going to cry early morning, can't sleep. The wife gets on my nerve. The husband gets on my nerve. World War III every day, boom, boom. And then the baby fills the nappy. And I got to wash them. I got to clothe them. I got to feed them. The baby got a temperature. I got to run them to the hospital. I'm worried. I'm crying. My baby is sick. My baby is that. My baby is this. And then the baby grows, goes to kindergarten. I gotta buy them the dress, the uniform, the bag. They go to primary school, to high school, and I say, my baby, my baby, I'm getting old, my baby, my baby. It is for the rest of your life. Responsibility after one and the other and the other. And the bigger you grow, the different responsibilities you're gonna have. At year one, I studied one particular subject. In year 12, I study differently. And university is different. The more you grow, the problems will grow, the responsibilities will grow, but we need to remember we are one, not two. If you look at him at your, uh, as, you, as if you're seeing yourself, and if you are looking at her as if you're seeing yourself, then no one would like to be disrespected, no one would like to be hated, no one would like to be degraded, no one would like to be rejected, no one. So whatever you don't accept for yourself, don't accept it on your partner. That is the true relationship in Christ. Jesus never told his fiance off in public. In private, yes, but not in public. Look at Job. I'll finish it off on this final, honestly. I'll. Job is the bride of Christ, right? Satan came, he said, look at Job. Hmm? You're surrounding him. You're doing this and this and this and this and this. Of course he's going to love you. Leave him to me. One day and I'll fix him up and I'll tell him to tell you off. He said, all right. Take his body. But his spirit is in my hand. He can't touch it. He went and he ripped Job apart. But you know why Job went through all the trouble that he had to go through? Because he never acknowledged his mistake. When he came to give an offering to God, which that animal that was sacrificed was sacrificed for the remission of sins in the Old Testament. It was to do with forgiveness of sins. He offered that animal for the forgiveness of sins for his wife and for his children, but never for himself. So really, in other words, he was saying to God, I am perfect. I don't need a sacrifice for myself because I am sinless. 
And God was sending him messages to say, hello, Job, wake up. The biggest mistake you are making is you are not acknowledging your sins. That's why you are not giving an offering for your own self. So he's, that's why he sent him all his friends his way, to teach him a lesson. Now, Job was full of errors. But when Satan came talking bad things about Job in, in the presence of God, God said, what are you talking about? I see Job perfect. Job was not perfect. But look at the, look at the bridegroom. He's saying, my Job is my bride. I will never put him to shame in public. He's perfect. But he's full of errors. Do we do the same thing? Don't share things that are between you two with the rest of the world on Facebook. Did you know my fiance just told me off? Did you know his mother, the sticky beak? She's got a tongue from here to Bahshika. She never stops nagging me. Share and care and build that kind of relationship on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to get married, I've got a uniform for you. <laughs> One day I was walking and this little girl holding her, her mom's hand walking, Mama, Mama, Santa. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. God bless you. And the Lord Jesus always grant you the wisdom, the faith that is built on the rock to go forward and uh, do whatever his will uh, is to be done in you as it is done in heaven. And always, always pray to the Lord to show you the way. Pray to the Lord to teach you how to live your life on earth. And don't rush into this kind of relationship, you know, boy and girl, boyfriends and girlfriends and I don't know what. You know, can you please get rid of this mentality? What boyfriend and girlfriend? There's no such thing. You want to enter this relationship? You better be serious and your intention is marriage. If you're still 14, 13, 13, 13, stay with your parents. That's my advice for you. It's the best life because marriage is not fun, as always is, you know, you might think it is. Honeymoon, yes. After that, see you later. You can kiss it goodbye. The, the moon disappears and the, and the sun doesn't rise every day. You need to understand it's a huge responsibility and we need to be enough serious about it in order to enter this kind of relationship. As I said, and I'll finish it off, definitely three months to decide whether I should go continue or not. Six months, it's a serious decision to be engaged. 12 to 18 months, get married. And then deal with it afterwards. <laughs> and marriage is the only thing, if I may say, in this life that you will never be able to master fully. Don't say, now I got it, because you will never get it. My partner was perfect with me. She just snapped. What did I do? I just bought her some flowers and she told me off. It's, you can never master it. You know, they have mood swings, you know. So you got to go with it. Don't go against it. Oh, boys, last thing. I have to say this. It's a beautiful topic. You know what? The way the Lord God designed the male and the female. Now, this is biblical, right? The male is the provider. The female is the recipient of that provision. The way God created her, her system is not to provide first. Her system is to receive first in order to provide later. The male system provides first 
in order to receive later. So don't ever, guys, you are in a relationship, right? Married, to be married, right? Don't ever wait for your girl to come and say, I love you. You better say, I love you, in order to hear it from her. The woman, with all of respect, maybe the, um, the comparison is not that strong, but she's like the earth, Mother Earth. If you don't plant the seed, don't expect fruit, brother. They're not going to come out of thin air. She is the multiplication of that seed. You give her one nice word, she'll give you heaven. You give her one nasty word, she'll give you the hell of all hells. It's up to you what you want to do. She is the receiver. When she receives, she multiplies and she gives it back to you, baby. So you want to live like a king? Be nice to her. You want to live like a slave? Be nasty to her. That's the system. You can't break it. You can't change it. It's copyright. Ask God. Always be nice to your girl. She'll make you live like a king. And you don't need to ask her for things. Just say nice words. A female likes compassion, likes security, likes, um, you know, someone to feel her, to understand her. Just look at her eye and say, I know what you want to say, honey. You don't need to say it. I'll come back after the temperature has calmed down. I have to say this. Sorry, Sayyidina. This is a true story. This married couple, they had a problem. They came to me. The guy started talking. He said, what else does my wife want? I make her live like a queen. I just bought a four-wheel drive. She's got a beautiful double-story house. Whatever she wants, I provide. I give her this. I take, you know, she goes on holidays. She eats, she drinks, she, every day a different dress. I give her all the money. I don't see the bank account. I don't see the card. The cards are with her. I work hard. She's at home. She doesn't even work. I provide everything. What else does she want? I said, one thing I want to ask you. Have you ever come home from work and said, Honey, where are you? I miss you, my love. I said, do I really need to say that? We've been married for 10 years. Enough. She knows that by now. I said, no, no, no. Do you say this every day? I said, of course not. Why would I do that? Why should I do that? She knows that I love her. I said, but she, does, she wouldn't mind hearing it. I said, that's your problem. You give her a four-wheel drive, you give her a double-story house, you take her to Hawaii, to whatever. But if you don't say, honey, sweetie, birdie, Lulu, hello. <laughs> All your hard work has gone down the gurglover. Work smart, don't work hard. Just say, could you? Do whatever you want after that. In a nice way. All right? God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Let's stand for the finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, and protect you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless.